Hey, we're Midland. And when we're not searching for delicious crab cakes, we're listening to The Jukebox Graduate. Woo! You! Thank you, boys. Welcome to the Jukebox Graduate. I'm Eugene Edwards. And I'm Dave Rayburn. That was uh, my buddies in Midland doing our, our intro. I want to thank them for that. I met those guys a few years ago. They opened some shows for us. And uh, I, I adored them. They were, and they're just the funniest people. I, I, I mean, hard scrabble, goofy. I just <laughs> adored those guys. And we bonded quickly over a lot of things. And Mark, their, their lead singer, he's from a border town in Arizona, much like myself. Oh. So there's um, a lot of late night discussions about songs and inspiration and stuff. And, and I was, I knew they were working really hard and kind of just, you know, just scraping by and just clawing for it. And then I was at a gig, some, I want to say I was in Minnesota and I went to get some lunch and they've got a, I don't know, it's probably CMT, one of the country music mm, yeah. videos. <clears throat> I'm looking up for my, my fish and chips and I see this video and it's just for their song drinking problem. And I like it already. It's just, it's so good. And, and in fact, and I'm freaking out because you know, it's one of things <laughs> like I'm looking around and I want to tell total strangers, I know those guys, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but I don't want to be that person. And then there's a sequence, you know, where they're miming to the record and it's a complete recreation of the, you're going to lose that girl sequence oh, really? from hell uh-huh. the same camera angle they're all singing on the same yeah, mic yeah, yeah. you see the the studio i mean it's and that's my favorite sequence of from all Be- movie, it's yeah. just yeah of all the, beatles movies of all just the way it's filtered the yeah. way that that look and i and i i immediately started texting them and they said i was the first one to have even caught that reference which of course just depressed me because yeah, that means most yeah. people don't they haven't seen help how do you not catch this reference so i thought well good for them <laughs> that they had the good taste to, to put that in there and um and the song went number one um, I mean, these guys are legit. That's fantastic. And I just couldn't be happier. And so congratulations to you boys. Uh, you know, I love you. I just want to, I just want to make sure I, I send my congratulations out to those guys. Cause I'm very, very, very happy. For Congrats them. guys. Yeah. Yeah. Very proud of you. Gene, what have you been up to lately, man? You've been, you've been a busy guy. I've been a busy man. Uh, we were, we did, uh, some shows at the Ryman in Nashville. Nice. Uh, yes. Which is always lovely to do. But, uh, and I, so we were, and we did some of the shows in their area. So we hubbed out of Nashville. We was there for the better part of a week. Um, it snowed about three inches of snow in Nashville, which is rare. Uh, I had a great time. So a couple of things, uh, fortunately, uh, like my friend Sadler, uh, great guitar player, he's in Jason Isbell's band. He was in town. So I got to hang out with him. Um, and uh, first there was, I wanted to go to a guitar shop, Carter uh, Guitars there in Nashville. And um, I just kind of, they just put me in a private room and just kept feeding me guitars for hours. Nice. And it was just out of control. It's like a dream. And then at one point I just, I texted Sadler, says, you got to come get me out of here because this is becoming a bit of a hostage situation, right? <laughs> so, so he comes over and then I realized, well, that was a bad move. I asked a guitar player to come get me out of a guitar store. So, of course, he shows up and he wants to say, oh, have you seen these Rickenbackers? Oh, and oh, and the two of you are trapped. Now, here's the funny part. So we're, we're talking guitars and then I see somebody come into the shop and he doesn't see me. Big guy, hat, beard, long hair. And I recognize it's John Osborne from the band Brothers Osborne. And we met these guys back when we did the Eric Church tour. 
um, they were on the bill with us. And um, John's a, just a beautiful guitar player, just a wonderful player. And 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 he and his his brother uh, TJ, just the greatest guys. So he's in there, and he and he's a he's a big deal right now. So people kind of huddled around him, and they had ordered some specific acoustic guitars that he was hoping to, to purchase. So he picks one up, and he's kind of just playing okay. beautifully. And everyone's kind of crowded around him. Now, he's maybe just three feet behind me. And so I'm talking to Sadler. And then I, I turn around and I just put my hand over the neck of the guitar and clamp the strings. Just stops him cold. <laughs> and everyone, it's just kind of an E.F. Hutton commercial. And he looks up and he sees me. And I said, excuse me, man. I'm just trying to talk to my man over here. You, you, you just keep it down. And then he looks up and, and he just has this. He goes, you're the last person I ever thought I'd see right now. <laughs> Big hugs, you know, yeah. and and of course more guitar talk. Um, and then uh, they performed uh, at the Grammys, uh, Brothers Osborne with with uh, Marin Morris and, and Eric. Mm-hmm. They did the Tears in Heaven song for the the uh, tribute to the Manchester and, and Vegas concert tragedies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so um, happy for them as well. Uh, just like the Midland guys, yeah. you know, people that I knew way back when when they were when they were we <laughs> we lads. And so, uh, again, a shout out to John and to TJ and all their success as well. And I hope to see them uh, up the road. Nashville has a lot of museums. A lot of museums. Um, and so they have the, the Country Music Hall of Fame Museum. And they just, they're wrapping up. They had an ex- exhibit. It was like when Dylan came to Nashville. It was only covers right. kind of when Dylan and Johnny Cash worked there and then the albums that Dylan did there. And then that bleeds into the, this, all the session musicians that were on all those records. And it's great because there's a little kiosk on every session musician. You can get really get into the weeds on that stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I love it because I'm such a nerd for this. Yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. Such a, yeah. Um, and then um, it turns out that there's a, one of the other museums they have in Nashville is, I think it's just the Musicians Hall of Fame. And um, so some friends took me there, and, and it's massive. It's just huge, and it's really, the entire thing is just dedicated to musicians and mostly the session musicians in all the different cities where all these great records were made. So okay. it's not just a Nashville one, but they've got one on the Wrecking Crew, the famed L.A., Session musicians, right, right. Um, they've got one on Muscle Shoals, Motown, Motown. Uh, you, you know, just they've got um, Chess for sure. Um, it's you name it. They've got and they have tons of gear from from the sessions Chess? and just all this uh, just great um, paraphernalia and um, they have a really cool thing uh, coming up on Jimi Hendrix. You know, he spent a good amount of time in Nashville in the sixties when he when he oh, was yeah, in the yeah, army. He yeah. trained right outside, mm-hmm. and then when he Left the army was still there quite a bit, so they have a. They actually have. If I, um, I think I can leak this. Maybe um, there was a club that he used to play there in Nashville quite a bit at the time, and there's a picture of him that most people is a black and white photo of him with other guys and kind of in a very posed yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. I think he's playing an Epiphone guitar, coronet, I think. And um, so they have that stage there they saved it before they knocked really? it they moved it. yeah so oh, wow. uh things like that and um the funny thing is somebody sent me over there <clears throat> they'd set up a you know a guided tour and the the main curator guy comes out and greets us and we're chatting and he's talking about, by the way do you know why nashville is called music city no ah. so 
Um, around the time of the Civil War, shortly thereafter, actually, there uh, at Frisk College, there was a gospel choir. And they traveled to England and they sang before the Queen. And after the performance, she, the Queen asked them where they're from, you know, where in America. And they said, we're from Nashville, Tennessee. And she says, oh, that must be Music City. And so they had that name really? attached to it long before it Way became back. A, yes. Which I didn't know. So, uh, so we're going through the tour and the whole time, the, the guy that, uh, uh, Jay, the, the guide mm-hmm. and, and I'm looking, I'm thinking, I know this guy, I know this guy. And then I realized, I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he recognizes me or remembers me at all. So halfway through, I was trying to think, how am I going to, you know, it's like, have I let this go too long? Do I just continue pretending like we we're just meeting for the first yeah, time? Yeah, yeah, you never know. Um, but we're talking about music so much and we started to start talking about different stories and, and road stories. That that's when I said, by, by the way, we met in 1997. Because <laughs> it's, it, it's Jay McDowell, uh, he, bass player from BR549. Oh, yeah. Those guys. So okay. yeah, with, when I was with Russell, remember, we yeah. did shows with them all the time. Mm-hmm. Um. So it was like a half remembered thing. It was like, again, it was quite a while ago. Yeah. But, um, and I had known various, they opened for the Brian Sessor Orchestra around that time. And I know various pranks that the orchestra played on them since they were the opening act. So, and I got him to divulge <laughs> some details there. Um, anyway, so I want to thank Smiling Jay McDowell for, Smiling uh, Jay. yeah, for, and, and if anybody's in Nashville, please check out the, I mean, if you're, especially if you're a big music person, it's a, it's a wonderful experience. It's on my list for sure. It's a great one. In fact, there's a, a I sent you a picture because there's a little thing on because Gary Talent, the yeah. Springsteen's bass player from the beginning and, and, and all the way to today, uh, he's been living in Nashville for quite a while. So he's donated some stuff, including the bass that he used on the that's the yeah, the uh, we'll post this photo, the Dan Electro Longhorn bass that he used on the, the Born to Run album. He's saying, yeah, we'll post that picture. A lot of, a lot of cool stuff there. Uh, so. To make a, a long story even longer, <clears throat> after That's the show, a good one. it's a good one. After Keep the going. after the show at the Ryman, we we take the famous or infamous five steps out of the backstage door into the back of. Uh, well, we didn't go to Tootsie's. We went to Roberts, which is one of the clubs. It's right there, mm-hmm. and uh, it turns out that the band that's playing is being led by a guy named Johnny Diartney. Uh, Sometimes known as Johnny G. And when I was, I'm trying to think back to, I think I was 19 years old and I was in a country band, too young to get into clubs. So I couldn't really go out and see other live music at the mm, time. Right. Um, I had a night off and I wanted to see some live music. So I had a, a friend, uh, an older guy who had worked in clubs a lot. And he says, well, I know a lot of people in town, so I'll, I'll figure out a place. I'll, I'll talk you in somewhere. So we're going to downtown San Diego and there's a place called Croce's, owned by uh, Jim's widow, mm-hmm. Ingrid. Um, and I see a three-piece rockabilly band, upright bass, got guitar player, has a big Gretsch guitar. Mm. And I think, I want to see this band. I want to see this. Turns out that my friend knew, knew the manager. So he says, look, you know, this guy, he doesn't, this kid doesn't drink. He's just a musician, but he wants to see some live music, you know. So he goes, okay, fine. So I go in there. And these guys just blow my doors off, right? And... And Johnny was the bass player in that band. The band's Hot Rod Lincoln. Oh, yeah. And I think a day or two later, they, I, I went up and introduced myself. 
And they said, well, you know, we're doing this thing at a coffee house in a couple of days and we usually have people sit in and, you know, it's, that's all ages. So you can come to that. You know? nice, yeah. <laughs> and so I did. And I, I went up and sang a couple of songs. And since then, they always had me, I'd go to their gigs and they would let me sit in like crazy. And this was really instrumental to me falling into the rockabilly scene, meeting Russell Scott, yeah. moving to Los Angeles. Which was, yeah, the reason you came out here. Right? It just, it just, it just kicks off the whole thing. And, and I haven't seen Johnny in over 20 years. You know, these, these road stories you've got, it's almost like a, it's like a high school reunion on the road for you. It's <laughs> a lot. You're right. There's a theme here. <laughs> you're I, running I, into all kinds of people from your past. I get on a plane and I, I bump into my past all the time. So, <laughs> so it was so lovely to see him. And, uh, and then he had me sit in and we did, some of those songs that we did when I was 19, it all, it all oh, kind of came back, but it was, it meant a lot to me. Uh, like my life was just flashing before my eyes. And, and so I did a couple of songs and then I ran to my hotel room, just not wanting anything to go awry for the yeah, rest of the yeah, evening yeah. and ruin the memory. So that, that meant a lot. So Johnny, if you're listening, I love you. And thank you so much for, for not just letting me sit in, but, but for just for everything. Okay, so in Nashville, did you ever uh, did you ever go to the roof of a building, the tallest building you could find, and shout out, "Look out, Music City! I'm here now, and I ain't never leaving." I do that on the plane. That was and it just on the, of, They escort you off immediately. That's right. That's right. No, that was like a thing. It was a. It's just a thing from a mid '90s movie with uh, River Phoenix and Samantha Math. It's called "The Thing Called Love." I never saw that. You, it's I recommend good? it. Yeah, I All love right. it. I love it. It's a mid '90s movie. And that's when. That era of country was really, really strong, uh-huh. real popular, and uh, it was about all these songwriters coming to Nashville. Yeah, I remember to when make it a came name out. for themselves. Yeah, and it's just it's great seeing it from that singer songwriter angle. You're seeing it from these these songwriters mm-hmm. coming to town, and they, they befriend each other because they don't know anybody else in town, and they're going through the same ropes, and they're trying to learn the same lessons, and. Uh, and so there are trials and tribulations of that. And I, I just, that's an endearing movie for me. And that was just one of the things they, one of the, the characters uh, had heard is that when you come to Nashville, the first thing you got to do is you got to climb to the tallest building, get on the roof, that. and shout out to the city, you know, I'm here now and I ain't never leaving. It's just in a defiant. I prefer, thing. I prefer Willie Nelson's, I didn't come here and I ain't leaving. <laughs> that way, I think is a little, um, Anywho, but uh, uh, so that was the Nashville trip. Uh, it was great seeing uh, John uh, Osborne hanging out with Sadler, who I always adore. And congratulations, by the way, to Sadler and all the gang for their their Grammys. Uh, that was Sadler was the first person of whom I, I honestly asked the question: Who were you wearing? <laughs> um. So so thank you so much, and thank you Nashville for. Uh, hosting me my wife my daughter came and hang out oh that's great yeah so uh so thank you for being such a lovely city honestly yeah so speaking of the grammys uh the grammys just happened Mm -hmm. you know it's like music's big event every year Uh, right well i don't know awards are given out people are wearing somebody else's design and uh, it's tough man it's tough. It's got to be tough putting that show on. Did, I didn't see it. Did you watch? You didn't watch? <laughs> no. Did you? No. Oh, see, there's the story. That's the, <laughs> the, that's the story right there. I mean, um, it's going to get harder and harder to to put that thing on only because 
the, I mean, I, and this, their think pieces have been written about this for a while now. There's just, there's just a slowly fading monoculture. We're not all listening and watching the same things. So, yeah. I mean, it looked to me, uh, um, what I did see of it and what I read about it, it seemed like it was, it's really hard to split the difference. Do you, do you appeal to the younger? Do you appeal to the older? Yeah. Obviously the, they obviously try to appeal to a little bit of everything. Gotta be hard. Plus you got to get all those stars on in a compressed amount of time. That's why you get so many pairings, sometimes awkward, sometimes not. But it's like, why can't just one person come out and sing their song? There's always got to be someone else coming in and there's always these mashups, yeah. but it's like, you can only know, bring Tony Bennett on so many times. That's you know, right. Because he's the, the, the token old school guy that, you know, is still around and we can, represents another generation. And we can all agree upon Tony Bennett. Like yeah. he's in. And I right. think that's what you two is kind of trying to position themselves as the, the classic rock band upon whom we can all agree. Like, all the original members are there. Yeah. But um, I don't know. That seemed seemed a little forced. I'd uh, heard some things about the show. One of, a couple of the things. There was a Tom Petty tribute, mm-hmm. which I th- this morning I tried going on YouTube to at least just catch up and watch the, uh, the video that I had heard about. There yeah. was a uh, is it Chris Stapleton and Emmylou mm-hmm. Harris yeah. did a thing. And I'm not even certain what song it was. Was it Wildflowers? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I try finding this video to see it and hear it. I can't find it. Apparently, all the links that I saw that people were posting of this video, the video's been taken down. See, so, you know what? So I'm like, well, how's that help the Grammys? Yeah, I know. Well, we are talking about it, but not in a great way, I guess. <laughs> but I mean, I think that's that's fantastic that uh, that pairing happened, and I would have loved to have seen it had I maybe known that was going to happen. But the, on the other side, there too, I, I I guess there were several artists that were paying tribute to Tom Petty. Did you hear the same thing? From what I heard, Sorry. and. Listeners, be sure to, to fact check us because there's, and I'll, I'll let me jump on this train okay. real quick too. Um, we are not perfect here on the Jukebox Graduate. Speak for yourself, <laughs> you ruthless. Oh, good. So <laughs> one of our listeners uh, uh, caught us on something from last episode. <laughs> oh, I think I caught it. Okay, go ahead. Do you what know what it is? I think so. Or are you going to pick out something else that no, they no, didn't just catch? Tell me, just tell me, tell me. <laughs> but we certainly, you know, we're not the end all uh, definition of, of what we spew here. We try to, you know, be as accurate as we can. So, uh, there was a, on the last episode we were talking about the new St. Vincent album. Yeah. Is this the one? What, what happened, Gene? No, 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 what, what no, 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 go ahead. It was your line anyway. So what was, what, what that's happened? why I don't want to admit to it. <laughs> a, a title of the song was misquoted. Yes. And we was. deeply apologize for that. We try to be accurate, but sometimes. I, call, I think I just called it Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. It's Los, Los, Los Angeles? No, I just. Is that, I, what, the, is that was, what it's really called? I'm with? often under heavy medication. So that's my excuse. <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, I, I, I don't. I, at the, t- I remember going back to when we recorded that. And I was, I was reading something else, and I just, I wasn't paying attention to myself. But I didn't correct you either. So, like, I'm just as, as guilty. Yeah, yeah. So, when, yeah, no, I'm glad. <laughs> frankly, I just see this is proof that somebody listens to the show. So this yes, is a win, and for we me. love that. So yeah, please exactly. find all of our faults and relay them to, uh, <laughs> to Dave or Eugene, care of the jukebox graduate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so what I had read was or heard uh, is that there was artists that were asked to do a Tom Petty tribute of mm-hmm. some kind. Now, I don't know if it was a group collaboration medley or what, but um, there are obviously the artists that uh, get invited to the show to play their, you know, if they're up for song of the year or yeah. record of the year, whatever it may be. And, uh, and Lord was up for something. Mm-hmm. And I, from what I heard, she was asked to do something for the Tom Petty tribute and not her right tune. And she opted out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I don't know if she got to perform her song or if that was just her one opportunity to perform on the show, but she didn't want to be 
controlled like a producer would. You know, like here's here's your move, and I'm telling you what to do. Yeah, I, I think in in moments like these, it's a little hard to tell what what really happened. All right. we know is that Lord didn't perform. Yeah. Um, but I think what it it also shows is you now she's a and we talked about her last episode, I believe. But this is a very young person. This mm-hmm. is a very young artist, and this might just be maybe a sign. It might be a sign that the Grammys aren't going to be all that important to artists as we march forward here. Yeah. I mean, she just, she didn't see it as like, well, that's my one chance to be on the Grammys and be on television. So I got to do what they say. She just kind of just, I won't do it. And, and the fact that I'm, you know, and Bruno Mars is a great entertainer mm-hmm. and, and his records are slick and, and wonderful and they're a lot of fun. Yeah. And so they have a value, especially a time when we, we tell ourselves that times aren't that great right now. We, we tell ourselves that the country is wildly divided and, and it's a big mess. And honestly, this country has gone through such times that are far worse than this. But, but it's great to have some music that offers some escape. It's great to have music that isn't just escape. There's room for both. Um, but I did, feel, I think the onion uh, America's greatest. That's where we get most of our factual information <laughs> from. <laughs> most reliable source for satire. I think they said something like Bruno Mars uh, kind of wins, you know, the joke was that he won the least offensive artist of the year award, <laughs> which, which is kind of, you know, and that thing, I think a lot of people felt that it's not that he's not a, a wonderful artist. It's just that we kind of felt, I think people just felt like, mm, you know, in a year where everything has to have so much weight and gravitas, it felt like a cop out giving him the awards, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's kind of, I think, how a lot of people probably felt after watching Justin Timberlake's halftime show was there was a lot of, now, again, I didn't watch that either. There's only a hand, <laughs> there's only a couple of halftime performances since they've gotten to be such a big thing yeah. that people felt very s- satisfied by, pardon the preposition. Um, that was sloppy. <laughs> Clearly, the Prince one. Is just yes. relatively unanimously. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the one, one to be mm-hmm. right, and and so it's, if you're JT, it's tough, man. You got upstage by like a, a dead dude on a sheet and a and a and some city lights. You know, I mean, that's the part that really got me. But I'm I'm old, and you know, get off my lawn. I lived through the '80s, yeah. but also and, and again, Justin, just a, a wonderful performer, mm-hmm. a great song and dance man. We need song and dance people, um, but it, I think people just kind of thought, well. Everyone is expecting more. And I don't know what else they were expecting. The guy showed up. He knew his dance steps. He sang in tune. There was really brilliant set changes, and the thing was so well choreographed. And, and you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what people are looking for, but if, if you're just, I'm, I'm sure that, that dude was probably afraid to even wave a peace sign, you know? Like, he just doesn't want to do anything that yeah, can be yeah, misconstrued yeah, yeah. as anything. So... Um, and but my point is the, the Grammys are going to are, are having a harder and harder time to put on a few hours of performance with artists and mm-hmm. trying not to offend anyone. With, but how do you do that without engaging at the same time or how do you engage without possibly offending? And so what we get is these shows that just kind of get a little watered down and they won't really be what they used to be. Yeah. Uh, and that might be OK. My point is. There's just going to be other places and times where and shows where we are going to see great moments. It just may not be the Grammys or the Super Bowl halftime show anymore. Right, right. I mean, those two things, Grammys and Super, they don't have a lock 
on cultural importance. There's no, no law saying that is exactly where important things have to happen in music. You know? It used to be on MTV as well. Gone. Gone. SNL, I mean, occasionally. I think VMAs had a lot to do with this, though. VMAs knew, okay, either you give out awards or you put on a show. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, and they just, we're putting on a show. And so think of, and, you know, from uh, the, the, uh, the Michael Jackson, Lisa Marie kiss, right? One of the VMAs? That's VMAs. Yeah. Um, and then Madonna and Letterman doing the gag, making fun of it, or, or Madonna's first appearance. I mean, there's just so many moments that, we, that push the culture that happened at the VMAs and not the Grammys over the past, let's just say, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, that just goes to show, like anybody, any show could have the moment. That's all. We're just so used to the Oscars and the Grammys as having the place with the moment, but things were just yeah. so much more narrow then. Yeah. That's all. There's a ton of award shows. I remember when it just used to be <laughs> the Oscars and the Grammys and yeah. well, and the Emmys. And, mm-hmm. But I mean, now there's all these People's Choice Awards. Yeah, there's so many awards given. I mean, everybody's got one. I probably have a couple. That's but... uh, Mitch, the, our, our drummer. He and his girlfriend have a joke when they're in Nashville. They just, when they see people, they just say, hey, congratulations. Oh. <laughs> Because odds are you're you're on target, most likely. <laughs> oh, hey, so guys, we uh, we had a little contest last mm-hmm. episode. Um, there's a new album that came out well just last year, 2017, by Jack Temption, singer songwriter who uh, famously known for uh, bringing songs to to Mr. Glenn Fry of the Eagles, songs performed by the Eagles and by Glenn uh, solo as well that uh, most people know. Mm-hmm. Um, he put out his own record last year. Jack did. Um, it was called Peaceful Easy Feeling, the songs of Jack Temption, where he's taken his own stab at these songs that most people know by other artists. And uh, it's it's really a nice sort of grassroots record, strips things down, and you hear it from the, the direct source. Um, we had a, a trivia question in the last episode where... Uh, I knew the answer, by the way. You did? I did. You're ineligible for this, my friend. It doesn't matter. I just want to brag. Well, okay. Congratulations. Thank you. Was that Mitch's joke? Wait, no. <laughs> um, our, our trivia question last episode was, which founding member of the Birds guested on Jack's new album? And we have a winner. Andrea Moturi submitted the correct answer. Chris Hillman. Go, Congratulations, Andrea. Andrea. We just said one to Chris, too. We should, huh? He's a lovely guy. Yeah. He's probably not a very yet. important guy. We, that, Chris, we should do a whole, that's a whole, a whole other segment on, Calif- on country, rock, California. He was, oh, his yeah. background was so, just his background as music was so important to bringing those things together. I could go on. I could go on. You know, with with my band, we, we haven't played in, in a while, but we used to play shows kind of regularly out here in Southern California. And I had one song in my set called Wonder that um, my bassist, Huge Birds fan. Uh, I, I noticed that he would always like notate on his set list, uh-huh. you know, certain things like you know if what key it's in sure. or whatever it may be. But next to that particular song of mine, he wrote Hillman. <laughs> like playing the because style he of? knew he knew how that was going to guide him. He knew what it was referencing. Sure. You know, I thought yeah. that was always cool. But uh, anyway, Andrea, uh, congratulations, and we're gonna reach out to you, get your address, and send that vinyl copy of Peaceful Easy Feeling, the songs of Jack Tension. Get that out your way. So here's a song off that record that Chris Hillman is featured on. You may know it by the Eagles, but this is Jack Temption's version of Already Gone. Well, I heard some people talking just the other night 
have to eat your lunch all by yourself Cause I'm already gone And I'm feeling strong I will sing this victory song Stop in one while But I guess you felt you had to set things right But just remember this When you look up in the sky You can see the stars and never see the light I don't care Cause I'm already
That Was Already Gone by Jack Temchin. Uh, check that out on Blue Elon Records. Dave? Yes. You went to NAM. I did. N-A-M-M. Yes. Not Vietnam. Right. That's, you know, I can't escape that joke every year. Somebody always makes some reference. It's so hard. My, my drummer even texted me because he usually goes every year and he wants to meet up and he texted me, uh, are you going to Vietnam? Oh, he says that. And, oh, come on. So I just text him back with the, the little emoji of the flag. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of jokes where I say, I can't believe we're still telling that joke. <laughs> I'm guilty as much as anybody, of course, but, um, so I didn't go, uh, because you're a busy man. Oh, yeah. And I was busy at NAM. Tell me, what did we see? Have they revolutionized anything? I was seeing some new things that I'd never seen before at NAM. And you, you probably don't see this out on the road. I don't know. But, and it may be a little gimmicky, but there's a, one of the first booths I went to was a company that was, what they're, they did, well, what drew me to their booth yeah. were these guitars that were hanging up that the fretboards were lit up with some kind of an inset design. Mm -hmm. And I got closer and went up to them. One had like flames kind of going up the fretboard, lit up in red. Mm -hmm. Another one had like vines that were lit up in green. And I forget what one of the other ones was. But I, so I go up and I start talking to this guy. And so what, what do you have here? He says, well, we do these fretboards where we'll inset a design of your choice, you know, with this, I, I'm not sure what kind of lighting it was, but it was inset like you'd see those, the pearl insets. Sure. And uh, I thought, well, this is interesting. I've never seen this before. And he says, yeah, you basically, you bring your guitar in. You tell us what kind of wood you want in the fretboard. And we'll basically replace all that and install this in there. Okay. And he, he had like a, a remote control on a keychain that would change the color of the lighting inside the, you know, your fretboard. And it was kind of flashy. It's not, not it's nothing, Kinda. it's nothing I would want, but it's like, I've never seen that before. And that's kind of cool. And sure. I said, so where are you at with this? And I'm not going to give the name of the vendor. Uh, because I actually saw started seeing this throughout the show oh, and, on various levels. But he said, yeah, you know, the kids really love this. And said, of course they do. It's lights, you know. <laughs> he says, but the problem is, like, the kids can barely afford the $500 guitar that this $800 piece of hardware is being mounted onto, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of tough to find the right, you know, demographic for where it's going. But this is what we're doing, and we're kind of new at it, but it's, it's a new thing. I thought, okay, great. So I'm moseying around, and... One booth that I saw shortly after, uh, how would you how would you pronounce that? Is that frets a lot? No, um, fret zealot. Fret, yeah, I'd say fret zealot. Fret zealot. But frets a lot. But he might fret is really fret a lot if uh, business isn't good. It's two so, words: fret. <laughs> second word: zealot. There we go. So frets a lot. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, this is what I was thinking. I was like, oh, we could apply the light technology to guitar instructions. And that apparently, is that what this is? Yeah, what this guy had here, um, they have an app mm -hmm. you can get on your tablet or your phone. And it's it's an educational thing. And that, so that's one angle. That's one angle of, uh, of the NAMM show. Folding the technology into why do I want this on my guitar? Yeah, because there are professionals like yourself that will come to the NAMM show and they're looking for the latest gear, you know, upgrades, things mm -hmm. like or test out new stuff. I have some friends that actually got into the show that are starting out on you know, drums or yeah. things like that. And, uh, and to, to come to the show and talk with some of these vendors uh, really enlightens a lot of people. And so this, this particular booth here, they have this thing, and I'm not even sure what it's called, but basically it's a, it's a long strip with an adhesive on the back that goes across the top of your neck all mm -hmm. the way across. And there are little branches with adhesives that come down and place right, uh, I guess, right in front of the frets right behind it right behind the frets yeah. uh and they light up 
right on under each string. Mm-hmm. So in conjunction with the app, you can basically plug songs in there and learn the chords. Yeah. You can learn scales. Sure. And you can adjust the speed, learn at your own pace. If you just want to learn a particular part of a song. And uh, I just saw this and I thought that's, gr- I mean, anybody can put it on any guitar. The only problem with it, I think, is that the adhesives only, it's not like color forms like we had as kids where it's just, you know, forever. You can take it off, put it back on. It's only good for a few times. But as far as the instructional thing goes, you Get have you your own guitar. Running. You start with a guitar, put this thing on. And I think the retail on it was, I think he was telling me it was around $200. And that's, you know, I think the app comes with that as well. Yeah. But I was watching it on display. The guy was playing with it and showing me how it worked. And uh, we'll put a link up on the on the website uh, so you can check it out as well. I think there may even be a YouTube video showing Most how it's demo. It should be. But I think just for, for beginners, like you said, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's a great, without having to go take lessons, you know, if you don't have time for that or money for that, this is something you can kind of do on your own. And it lights up and shows you where your finger placement should be. And... You know, and once you get past basic stuff, you can start, you know, go up to an advanced level and learn it at your own pace. You know, it, it's funny you mentioned how, like you've got this this paradox of that technology costs so much, yeah. but then the starting out person who would need this or would want it, it's like, how do you get that price point happening? How do you have that in between? Yeah, yeah. Something a little similar. I uh, was talking to my friend Ben, who who uh, does artist relations at Fender Guitar, and. Uh, a couple of years ago, they came out with some new colors on their guitars. And now they found some swatches that Leo Fender had in the late 50s, early 60s. These mm-hmm. were colors that Leo had originally intended to put out a new line of guitars in these colors, but then he just changed his mind. So in a sense, these are these are Leo Fender. Leo passed away decades ago, right. but he approved these colors. These were at one point meant to be on Fender guitars and then just shelved the idea. And so Fender moved forward with it a couple of years ago. And I have one in what's called Sonic Gray. I have a telly, and I oh, yeah. love that color. And I, and but you know, we were talking about it. it's one of those things where it's really hard, say in the guitar market, to even change the like put a new color on a a uh, a very well known guitar shape. Uh, you know, the, the the Telecaster, the Stratocaster. You you know, people because we've because of MTV, because of album yeah, covers. Yeah, we, yeah. We've spent so much of our collective memory has certain paint jobs. On When you have a, a poster of Jimi Hendrix uh, or of Buddy Holly or of Keith Richards, or you keep naming them, and there's just there's going to be one of four or five different finishes on these guitars. Right. So we assume that's what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the younger people that are willing, a 15-year-old, 16-year-old kid is willing to buy a guitar, hopefully he's not, he doesn't have an allegiance to these old colors, and so that's going to be the important. We it's, what's Going important forward, is yeah. it's important to get guitars in the hands of these these young young men and women. Oh, that's, for sure. that's huge. Yeah. And then when I was in Nashville, I did stop at the Gibson Showroom, and uh, just speaking to their their artist relations persons there, uh, uh, Heather, uh, she said they have the same problem. You know, I was looking at this ES three thirty five, which is imagine Chuck Berry or BB King that that guitar, right? Double cutaway. Yep. Yeah. Semi hollow body guitar. Um, I mean, I'm I'm guilty. Like, like, I just I pick the cherry red one. That's just that's the one. That's the one that that's the color that I've seen Chuck yeah. Berry. I've seen Clapton. That's Freddie King. This is yeah, the, yeah, this yeah. is the color. And they have some really beautiful colors, just aesthetically beautiful colors that they've introduced. But it's just hard to move them because Freddie King didn't play a blue one. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So, 
so yeah, even the titans of the, the the music industries in terms of the instrument vendors, you know, they struggle. They they sure. they too struggle trying to like do something a little new, Roll like, something out new. And and the idea here is that you're going to have to get it's it, you have a better shot at the younger people because they're just again they're they're just not biased towards yeah, the past. exactly. Um, as far as interesting guitar designs, there was a, a booth that I stopped at as well that uh, talked to this guy, uh, Prisma Guitars. You can check out prismaguitars.com. They, I'm going to show you this little card I grabbed here. Basically, okay. they, um, I'll just read the back of it here because I think this says it right Please here. Please do. Prisma Guitars creates one-of-a-kind guitars made from the wood of used and broken skateboards. Okay. Skateboards are made with seven color-dyed plies of hard rock maple pressed together. Once the material is worked with, the guitar's distinctive color pattern emerges. So I brought a little postcard here to show you, and I'll uh, show you, Gene, because you can't see this on an audio podcast. Correct. But I will post this on the website. But uh, I took several pictures of some guitars there, and the guy that actually put these together, he was he's a former skater, so this is really a, a labor of love for him, kind of meshing his love of skateboarding with with uh, the love of guitars and I making love, guitars. I love the found material. There's a oh gosh, there's a drum company out in the Midwest. Um, can't, I can't remember the name. Mitch introduced me to them, but they make drums, mostly snare drums, out of uh, repurposed wood. Like they'll just yeah. like a fine, you know, at like Habitat for Humanities, knocking a house down or something like that. They'll take the wood and the and I I love I I love that idea. And these are pretty crazy looking. Oh yeah, that's really cool. So yeah, Prisma Guitars, the, the website, um, it's uh, Prisma spelled uh, Papa Radio India, Sierra Michael Alpha. I'm sure somebody's going to correct my phonetic alphabet. Uh, PrismaGuitars.com. Now, and if you're wondering, well, what about Out where... Of San Francisco. Good work, guys. You know, and, and what about where the trucks were? On, you know, like there's holes in there. Well, this is what they do. You can see an example there, Gene. They basically, they fill in the hole where there may have been a screw from, from oh, the trucks and they put the, the little pearl inside and their little dot that you would have on a on the neck, I guess. I love it. It's they're gorgeous. They're fun. They look really cool. Yeah. So, you know, just seeing little things like that, um that's kind of what got my attention this year around. Um and I was actually telling Gene before we started the uh, the episode today as I'm walking up on my first day. This is great. <laughs> come 9 o'clock, I'm walking up towards the main entrance and there's a big, you know, mess of people out front. And then all of a sudden I hear the opening to Where the Streets Have No Name by U2. And more people start walking up, crowding the front. And I'm thinking, oh, this is great. They got like a little kickoff song for the day. You get your blood going and you go inside and rock on. You yeah. know? This is great. And so I get closer and closer. And then I notice this gaggle of people. They're suddenly pulling their phones out of their pockets and pointing them towards the sky. What's this all about? And uh, and this is this is what you uh, would have heard if you were there. How about that, right? So Friday morning, I'm walking up, and apparently U2 is doing a rooftop concert outside the NAMM show on Friday morning. Uh, well, a few songs go by, and uh, 
man, is this real or not? Because they're way up there. Yeah, looking at the footage, <laughs> and I mean, there's kind of some white guys dressed all in black. So they sounded oh, legit, it's, it's, it's as you as you just heard. And uh, the guy to the left, I could notice he had a black beanie on. The guy to his uh, yeah. or to his left had the big glasses uh-huh. on, and he was definitely doing the had the, the, the big charismatic gestures. movements and everything. And they sounded great. And everybody's filming it, and so everyone's just taking the bait. And I am too because I shot some video of it. But a handful of songs in, I'm thinking, wait a minute, modern day YouTube probably would have mixed this setup a bit more with some of the newer stuff because. They're, Absolutely, they're kind of locked into this uh, rattle and hum and earlier set. Uh, oh, you mean that's what they're playing? That's on the what they rooftop. were playing right there. They did play Vertigo and one other song uh-huh. I didn't know eventually, but um, I thought, well, this is kind of cool. But uh, I wasn't ready to pull the trigger and post anything to social media about my experience and, in case I was wrong. And because I know how we get called out on this show for <laughs> for inaccuracy. It's the best part. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, Everyone's posting to YouTube and Twitter about how, oh my God, best way to start my Friday morning YouTube plan. I've never seen YouTube before until now. You know, these, oh, it was great no. seeing all this. <laughs> but I can't find any confirmation on YouTube's site or their socials. And I waited and waited and waited. And then a couple of days later on NAM's official website, they posted an article about Hollywood YouTube and how they uh, kicked off the Friday morning NAM show atop the, uh, the convention center. And so, yeah, apparently it's the world's greatest U2 cover band. And it reminds me of when um, I went and saw Ray Manzarek and Robbie Krieger. They were doing a tour together. They mm-hmm. played the Pacific Amphitheater out in Costa Mesa several years back. And uh, the interesting part of that is, I mean, those are two original Doors members. Mm-hmm. They recruited Dave Brock as the lead singer. Dave Brock is the longstanding lead vocalist of Wild Child, which has been oh, a Doors right. cover band that's been around forever. Right. Fantastic. Looks and sounds just like Jim Morrison. They got him to be the lead singer of that particular tour. And uh, we decided to go. I think it was a it was a fair show. Yeah. So tickets weren't too expensive. And I think we waited a little long, but we pulled the trigger and got some lawn seats. So we get in there and we get our beers and we're sitting way up on the lawn and the set kicks off and there's Ray's unmistakable playing. Mm-hmm. There's Robbie's, you know, trademark guitar playing. And as far as those beers in that distance was concerned, there was Jim Morrison singing to me that night. You know, it was the distance that worked for me as far as like a, I don't really want to call that a cover band setting because half the original band was there. This is debatable. By the way, I think the most accurate thing that the guy could have done was sing two songs, faint collapse, get carried off by doctor (laughs) and have Ray sing the rest of the set. And so I understand that's actually... That's what happened more often than not. That's if they're doing their Europe. Set, right? <laughs> That's right. So um, I remember hearing uh, an interview uh, between uh, with uh, Terry Gross and David Bowie and discussing when he ended the Ziggy Sardis character. And, the, you know, it was always hard for him to discuss it, kind of like that he couldn't tell when Z- where Ziggy would leave off and he'd begin or vice versa, right? right? right. So he just kind of got out of it. And then if I remember correctly, Terry Gross kind of said, well, did it ever occur to you just have somebody else play that character? And you, it's audible. You can hear this. The, oh, why didn't I think of that? I, mean, I, just, I would have just got some kid to put on the wig, put on the makeup. Right. He'd go out there. I'd franchise the thing. And there's part of me that thinks maybe some bands should just kind of do that. Yeah. I mean, think about, I mean, think about just there was a moment when you were standing outside of the convention center yep. in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. That moment. That's a pretty good feeling. So what if we just tell ourselves, um, well, I know it's not the real guys, mm-hmm. but 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Can you franchise a feeling? I know it sounds very cynical, but why not? How it works for me, like I said, it's distance. <laughs> well, so and alcohol. Pay more money to be at the back of the, the club or the arena. I was telling somebody this yesterday. <laughs> what, I said, really? you know what? I'm not a huge fan of cover bands, but I would go if the, the, the bar was open and we had the worst seats in the house. <laughs> I'd probably get the most enjoyment out of that. <laughs> sure. Why not? Yeah, why not? No, I, but I don't it was know. fun. I, I, yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I think that what Hollywood U2 did was was very cool. Well, good for you guys. Now, and that's the other thing is is uh, it as long as they revealed at some point, do you know if if from the rooftop they revealed that they were not the actual not U2? Not at all. Well, I'm, I'm, I have moral problems with this. Yeah. A little bit. I have a little bit of a moral problem with that. But yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Because <laughs> that's, at that point, that's, I that's a lie. They're keep, well, they're keeping the, the dream alive as long as possible. But mm. it did lead a lot of people to to post what they took in as reality. Okay, yeah, this is getting too heavy for me. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so as far as reality is concerned, um, yeah, there were there were some names that were uh, bouncing around the hall. Uh, Rick Nielsen was cruising oh. around. Yeah, it was cool seeing him. That guy was fantastic. I uh, didn't talk with him, but he was in passing. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? Uh, Stu Ham, who I, I, I was one of my favorite bassists. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does a really, really cool version of... Um, God, is it Linus and Lucy? He did a solo version on a flexi disc from some guitar magazine that was one of those pages you pull out, you know, Uh you play from the 80s or 90s. And he did like a solo version of where he's playing the bass line. He's like, yeah, he's playing the bass line with his left hand and tapping the uh, ding, 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 you know. Yeah. And I, I, that's where I was first introduced to him. And I, I see him every year at the, at the NAMM show. And he was doing a demonstration in one of the booths. And it's just, it's cool to be like five feet from that. You're just walking by, you're looking at pics and whatever else, and it's like, hey, look who's right there, and yeah. listen to that, and yeah. watch that, you know? Yeah. Um, but I did uh, manage to get into a couple uh, meet-and-greet opportunities, um, some legend names. Uh, Rudy Sarzo I see every year, pretty okay. much, and he's played with uh, White Snake, Quiet Riot, yep. Ozzy Osbourne, and he actually, uh, he's behind some animal causes, too, which I just found out this year, which I think is really great. I swear to God, I thought you were going to say animal costumes. I just thought, whoa, this took a left turn. <laughs> this year he came as Snoopy. I'm absolutely right. With Stu Ham playing Linus and Lucy. <laughs> See what we did there? Oh, my goodness. Um, beyond that, uh, George Clinton and Bootsy Collins. Not at the same booth, but uh, seeing them separately yeah. and having a chance to, to thank them for their musical legacy and, uh, and shake the hands and and get a quick photo was really, really cool. Actually, George signed my 12-inch sleeve of Atomic Dog from back in the day. Yeah, that was really cool. You had it with you? I knew he was going to be there, and I thought in the chance that that I see him, great. I thought it was a long shot, but it was there. I'm so so dim. I can't believe it. Yeah, I guess you you would have known he was. I do a little bit of research. I try to get some facts straight on this show. I know. The name of the song is Lost Ageless. (laughs) I get it. I get it, okay? And what was the call? Who, who who was that? Not the caller. Uh, we don't have callers. I'm not. Uh, you remember who it was? Uh, listener Mark. Listener Mark. Slos eight. Not Mark from Arizona. Mark. Yeah. Oh, that bastard. All right. Listen. Yeah. I'm. I'm definitely not correcting it for you. Graduate Mark. Mark. All right. Listen, what do we call our listeners? <laughs> <laughs> well, we thank you for listening, Mark. You are a dear friend, and Mark I, Mason. I, I thank God, you for following I us. Known. God. 
hate that kid. We'll have to play some of his stuff sometime. He's got some yeah, really yeah, great yeah, really good stuff. Um, and I'll get the name wrong when I throw to it. <laughs> uh, so, but speaking of uh, uh, that circle of uh, musical friends we had with Mark, mm-hmm. guess who I ran into at the Nam show? Uh, oh, hold on. On the second day that I went, uh-huh. Mr. Chris Valenti shouted out my name. <gasps> oh my and gosh! You know what's funny is uh, of no interest to the audience whatsoever. Uh, when I was in Milwaukee, I had uh, I, I went out and uh, grabbed a cup of coffee with a mutual friend, Eric Williams, who directed oh. the film Unforgettable that I scored. Oh, a few years back. So Chris Valenti actually, yeah, kind of a bit of it, a tie in there. That makes total sense because a gentleman by the name of Eric Williams, quote unquote, liked the photo I posted on Facebook <laughs> of Chris and myself. There are no coincidences anymore in Full this world. Circle. Yeah, so Chris Valenti's a, a singer, songwriter, uh, a, a, a writer. He actually, he was telling me that he uh, actually was asked to write a musical locally. And I think that was I done like it. a year ago, maybe. I'm yeah. going to have to follow up on that. I told him we'll get him on sometime because he's an L.A. guy. But uh, you so give, wait, hold on. Let me set the scene. Yeah. Um, it's got to be 1999, 2000, somewhere around there. There's a place in North Hollywood. It was called Kulak's Woodshed. I don't know what it is now. It's still Kulak's. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, Jesus. So um, I was doing like a solo acoustic gig there. It was a bunch of people. In it. And uh, I'd met Chris already. Mm-hmm. Lovely guy, funny guy. Actor, comedian, songwriter. So he wanted to make sure I went on before him. There was like some, he was really concerned about the order. And I said, sure, no problem. And, and then he wouldn't tell me what was going on, but there was clearly something happening with when he went on and how much time he needed to get ready. And oh, I think I know. Oh this, yeah. yeah so, and of course this is great. Cause my family, my, show. well, my wife, my girlfriend at the time was there with me. <laughs> she had never met Chris. And, um, I finished my set. I kind of walk off and I think there's an MC I'm sure that came up there and had to stall a little bit. And through the front of the room, like kind of from outside, like from the <laughs> sidewalk, like he disappeared. And then he came in, yeah. uh, dressed. It's <laughs> just, He's just this, he's dressed, he's got this outfit. He's a, he's a penis. Yeah. Just in, in Chris came, <laughs> he's like a six foot one penis. And I don't do, you don't get that at Nordstrom's, right? Like, where do you, no. does he make that stuff? <laughs> I don't know where he got that. And Maybe. it tied in with the songs. He had these songs that were all it's song cycle about these terrible breakups and 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 crazy ex-girlfriends. Yep. Just a very failed love life yes. was the whole theme. And um, you know, and I thought, and, and of course, of course, like, my wife was, she was just cracking. I mean, it was just so well, thank the goodness. whole place. Oh yeah. yeah and not oh, no, totally I mean, offended. Right? Yeah. Let's not ignore the elephant in the room and, and just, but you know, the commitment when, when we, I think oh, of Chris God, Valenti, yes. it's commitment. And I was just thinking that, geez, I, I was debating whether I should wear a blazer or not. And this guy, you know, yeah, so. <laughs> that must've been from his, uh, the Sensitive Johnson period, That's it. right? There you go. Okay. I knew there was a, yeah. There was a film and a soundtrack for that. And yeah, the whole cycle was about failed relationships. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he and I were talking at Nam, and, and uh, yeah, I was asking him what he was how up to lately. How was he dressed? He, how was, how was he, he was dressed normal, <laughs> right? <laughs> Man, it was great talking to him. And he uh, he was saying, yeah, I'm not, not doing so much of that, but those elements are still, you know, here and there, but uh, it's not all that. It's just harder to shock now. But it was, yeah, <laughs> he was so hilarious. I loved having him on the on the bill whenever we do these uh, perpetual intermittent tour shows. Yeah. yeah. We had played, uh, I think we did a show at the Crooked Bar, I think, on Sunset back in the day. 
Uh, do you remember that? You were your name. I have a photo where your name's on the bill. I want to say coconut teaser. It was in the basement of the coconut oh, teaser. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, called the Crooked Bar. So oh, we could play the, the days. Main room. Oh, those were the days. <laughs> That's the only time I played Sunset, I think. But yeah, so Chris was on that one. We did a bunch of shows in uh, in Long Beach, and and uh, matter of fact, we did a, a benefit uh, following the nine eleven tragedy right. where. I'd put together a benefit CD called Buddies for America that was a lot of these singer-songwriters that I was interacting with at the time. And we put together a, a CD and a show to raise money for the Red Cross mm-hmm. uh, following 9-11. Chris is part of that, and he was puzzled why I asked him to be involved because <laughs> following a very tragic event, yeah, a very somber tone happening, and uh, he, I think in, in the entire catalog of his that I had, there was one serious ish song that he <laughs> it's had the only right. one you could get away with. and i got that one on there and it, it i was telling this at the nam show i said yeah do you remember what song i used he said i can't remember i said well it's the one that had the line about feeding the cat or something and but that was his serious song you yeah. know it still had like this little cutesy line in it but uh but just a great guy it was a really great running into him well thank you for sharing your, your nam experience and i'm, I'm yeah I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna have we'll to get st- you out there next I'm year again chew on this whole fake you too we jived you move i don't know it's yeah yeah. I think they did their job. All right.
that was Trick Zipper by the group or the collective or the duo. Yes. 1913. Um, and so, and that's a, that's a new one uh, uh, released as a single. So, uh, Dave, yes. uh, I have not gone album shopping in a, in a bit. So we I have need nothing to do to report. that, my friend. <sighs> yeah. I, I've compiled a list of stuff to get and then I just, I kind of, I could put it aside, but you, yeah. what have you collected lately? Or I don't know. Are you in, are you in stores? Are you at flea markets? What, what's your I source? I try to, but with the, uh, the, the move that happened recently, I've moved myself farther from record stores. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. I got so you. There's I not a lot where you live now. I don't get out as often as mm-hmm. I used to. So I'm, what I'm finding is I'm doing things like, um, online shopping, you know, eBay or okay. Discogs.com, which is a great, great site, both for... Wait, what's, say it again. Discogs? Discogs. Yeah, like discographies, but like that's where it comes from. Okay. And I, I'll, I'll hype this site till the end of days. Um, it's great for information, just if you're looking to research releases. Um, but it's just, a, it's, a, it's like, think of it as Wikipedia for, for music releases of all formats, all periods, all genres. Um, there's a marketplace you can buy and sell, you can log your collection. You know, if you're a big Beatles collector, you can check that you have the European 1973 <laughs> reissue of hard days night or, you know, it's very detailed mm-hmm. in there and just a great resource if you're a collector. Um, so, but they do have a marketplace and I occasionally dig in on there. And like I said, on eBay as well. So there are a few records that I picked up online recently that I, I wanted to mention here because this kind of ties in with our our common thread of being Springsteen fans. Um, I did find a seller that uh, years ago had acquired a large collection of vinyl that uh, used to be in the possession of Philadelphia DJ Ed Shockey. Oh. Yeah. Now, he, Ed was uh, known for breaking a lot of big names and yeah. playing the heck out of Billy Joel, for sure, uh-huh. Bruce Springsteen. That was a huge market. Yes. Where I mean, he, he was like, he was a big follower. At that time, that was a huge market to break at the time. Yes. A very influential DJ back from a time where DJs served a very important purpose, <laughs> and, and that's very hard for them to do that today. Um, right. Ed Shockey was uh, kind of legendary. Um I think WMMR was like the, the big Philadelphia station that he was with for the long term. And I'm familiar with all the bootlegs. Right. You know. And that's exactly how I learned legs, the name. That's that, how yeah. I learned a lot of those famous uh, DJ names from uh, back in the 60s and 70s, just because they're introducing Springsteen on the Darkness Tour sure. on stage or, you know, or the interviews. And, of course, Ed had a, an affiliation with the King Biscuit Flower Hour mm-hmm. as well. Um, so uh, Ed had passed away, gosh, I want to was it maybe about... 10, 15 years ago, in that range. Yeah, I went by fast, but yeah. <clears throat> he had a massive collection. If you can imagine, um, what was it, in High Fidelity, John Cusack's character, like he wanted, what was his dream job? He wanted to be a, a, a Rolling Stone interviewer or something just so he could interview the stars, but also get all those free records, yeah. right? So DJs were getting promo records all the time. Mm-hmm. And they're, of course, replacing copies that are, have been well-played on the air to refresh them with new ones. So there's just records coming through mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. So the amount of stuff he's coming home with, it's got to be out of control. So he's passed away. He has this massive collection, and eventually it gets dissipated into the collector's market or private collections elsewhere. It has to go somewhere. Naturally. Uh, this particular seller that I came across um, acquired thousands of records from this collection, uh, many of them are 
personally signed by some of the artists that happened to come through town, whether it was a show that um, the station was promoting and he happened to be there and had his records there, or they came in with an interview. And I, this really got my attention. It's like, this guy's selling a whole bunch of signed records here. And if I can find any level of legitimacy about, you know, where these came from, if these are real, I would love to have a few of these. And they were very reasonably priced. So I dove in and bought about six or seven uh, just to see how they were. And uh, I got a Till Tuesday album signed by Amy Mann, Uh uh, made out to Edwin. Uh, (laughs) So that's interesting. So I'm comparing the signatures with uh, other stuff I'm seeing online and, and Amy's signature seems to be matching up with characteristics. I'm no signature expert. You're not. But, uh, is that a gryptologist? Is that what that is? Is that what that is? I think so. Yeah. Mark. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we'll have to. We'll have to get that checked. Um, and then uh, what else did I get? There's a Leon Russell uh, best of LP mm-hmm. that has the corner clipped, which is a sign it's of a it promo. being a promo. Yeah. Uh, some of these records have that white uh, strip taped on the front that has like the little boxes next to the song titles so the DJs could check what songs are to go on the air. Sure. That sort of thing. They had a lot of markings of being promo items, which mm-hmm. tied in with, yeah, these are probably DJ records. Yeah. So that these could very well be his from the station. I found, And you like this. I got this Phil Spector Christmas record. And it's not the original one. It's like a reissue that has Phil dressed up in a Santa suit. And it's, it looks like it may have been done in the 70s or 80s. I it's think I sent you a picture of it. Yes, I'm looking at it now. It's definitely an early <laughs> it's 80s It's the late 80s, yeah. yeah. And it's signed, uh, it's not signed to Ed or anything, but it's that signature kind of matches up with ones I've seen, and he dates it, I think, 93. 93, yeah. So that's before he went to jail. Because oh, uh, I don't know if he's signing anything now. That's a hard one to get. <laughs> he's not making any appearances. I don't know. I probably have a license Not with that hair anymore. Oh, and this uh, is like two episodes in a row now that Phil's got to mention. yeah. Uh, and and a, a, one of the prizes that came from this uh, batch too was a uh, a Smithereens album. It was I think it was the first one. It's the first one. It's especially for you. And I'm looking at a picture. Yeah, of this. to to Ed, a little note. God, God damn, am I jealous of this? So, uh, so Pat Denizio yeah, passed away. Pat was the lead singer, chief songwriter of the Smithereens, a band that broke in the '80s out of the East Coast. They were. Let's see. Hold on. I was 12 or 13. I was in junior high. And, and again, Yuma, not a lot of culture coming through. Yeah. And, and uh, if you were going to find out about something that wasn't on pre-programmed Top 40 radio or on MTV, um, you're going to have to know a guy that, that had been out there somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So I think a friend of mine, he had a cousin that lived in San Diego. So some hip stuff would kind of come come to, to town via him. And I remember being my buddy, Brian, Brian Reeves, I remember being upstairs in his bedroom and, and from downstairs, he put on a record and I heard, I heard this, this song start. just raced down the stairs 
because it seemed like I could tell it was new. I, I knew this was not an old record, but it seemed to reference the things that I loved up to that point about rock music. Hmm. And it all was happening really before the guy even sang the first line. And I'm screaming, what is this? Mm -hmm. And Brian holds up that album cover. He just holds it up, a la John Cusack with the boom box in the rain. He just, he's holding it up. It's like, it's like the Lion King. You're looking down from the second story. (laughs) Don't mock me. It was a beautiful moment. How dare you? (laughs) And, uh, and uh, I and I was just in and and I and I went out. I bought the record and you know it was one of those things where I was I had a guitar and it was I could learn I learned the entire and the whole album is tuned down a half step. These songs were easily learnable, catchy as hell. Mm-hmm. The solos were never tricky; they were straight ahead. Um, and then I just bought every album by that band since. In fact, when I started the Eugene Edwards band a long, long time ago, the very first gig we did was kind of up the street here in Eagle Rock. And um, I had some originals, but we had to, we had to fill it up with, with, with covers. And the very first tune we played was Strangers When We Meet, mm-hmm. knowing that no one would ever keep track of this and it doesn't matter. But to me, I would know yeah, that no matter yeah, yeah. what, this thing started off on the, on the right foot. So I got my car one morning a couple weeks ago, and I, I think Chris Carter with Breakfast with the Beatles on the Beatles oh, yeah. channel. yeah was just flat out playing a smithereens. It wasn't even like the smithereens covering a Beatles song. It was just because that was a thing they were doing for a little yeah, while. Yeah. Too. Yeah. They didn't meet the smithereens. And, mm-hmm. and, and so and Chris, you know, who I, he's a Jersey guy. So I think he probably knew Pat really well. Anyway, that's how I found out that he passed away. It was just a shock. Yeah. And, and, um, I did meet my, I had a, a, a band briefly, um, in the early two thousands, late nineties or so, the majestics, we played down at the Belly Up in San Diego, and we opened for them for the Smithereens. Mm-hmm. So obviously, it was a massive deal for me. And I, I got to, I went outside the front of the club, and there's Pat, mm-hmm. and I got to chat with him a bit. Oh, and I got really? to tell him, I got to tell him, that's about the first time I heard that band and what that band meant. Um, and he was, he couldn't have been, he couldn't have been more lovely. That's great. Uh, the weird thing was, uh, in my senior year of high school. I had plans with my friend David to go up to Phoenix to the to the state fair uh, to see Stevie Ray Vaughan, who's playing. You know, it's like you pay five bucks at the gate and just oh you're my in. God. And that was going to be October of of nineteen ninety, and that August, of course, yeah. Stevie Stevie passes away in the helicopter crash. The band that filled in for Stevie was was the Smithereens, and that was the first time I got to see them live. It was on the Smithereens Eleven. Tour. Okay, yeah, and. Uh, I re- and I remembered them kind of coming out kind of late, and I, it wasn't a it didn't bother me at all. I had nowhere to go, mm-hmm. and I mentioned this to Pat. I said the first time I saw you was when you had to fill in for Stevie Ray Vaughan at the Arizona State Fair, and he kind of thinks about it. And I said it was October. He goes, "Yeah," He's, and he says, "We were late, weren't we?" I said, "Do you remember that?" <laughs> he goes, "Yeah, baseball playoffs." Oh, he's a huge baseball. Waiting for the game to end. We weren't going out there till the game was over. I love that he remembered that. Right? He was just such a sweetheart. Mm. And um, Pat, thank you for everything. Again, one of those things. I'm just, I'm just happy that we had him at all. Like I was saying about Tom Petty. Just, just glad we had you at all. Again, that was like uh, I I remember in the uh, that would have been late '80s, early Mm -hmm. '90s. I think definitely late 80s. When did the first record come out? 1986 or 7. Yeah, okay. So it was definitely in that, like, maybe the last four years of the 80s. Mm-hmm. I remember KLOS really 
had a had a good grip on Smithereens material, really? and that's where I was being fed with it. Um, For me, it was out of uh, well, you're right. KLOS had it, and then also we'd make little trips to San Diego as a kid. Ninety one X, ninety one X would do it. Too, that yeah. Blood and Roses was practically a theme song. Blood and Roses and uh, Behind the Wall of Sleep. Behind the Wall of Sleep. Yeah. Those two. Uh, yeah, that was just. Um, I hear those songs now, and it 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 <laughs> takes me back to a very precise second. Yeah, you know, and and I love that because that's uh, that second was a very innocent time mm-hmm. and i was this music was so powerful like i mean i don't like you said that the music out was tuned down a half step or whatever uh-huh. it, it had a certain potency the songs were short they were catchy they, they were, were direct yes uh and and we forget and at that time in the 80s that was not that was not de rigueur. you know that was um so it was guitar based but with hooks they it, had the it, hooks it, but they were rock you know, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't had the muscle. And later on, when they got to like the Smithereens Eleven with a girl like you, and only and, and like it got crunchier, it got yeah, a bit yeah. heavier, it got a little more actually, commercial. The hits got bigger. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And I was happy for them for that. Yeah. But uh, but he could spin around and 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 do a love song like Maria Elena about Buddy yeah. Holly's uh, widow. Um, uh, the song itself, especially for you, which was the title of the first album, but the song itself doesn't come out to the second album, and I am boring everyone to tears at this point. But this stuff means so much to me. And um, so I wanted to recognize uh, Pat Denizio, not a name that a lot of people know. And the Smithereens are a band that kind of grew to be a power pop niche thing. But but man, for, for a few moments there, that, that band was, they were just everything to me. And that's the thing. That's what this, uh, the, the premise of this show is. This is what it's about. I mean, it's, it's chasing that feeling, sure. recognizing that feeling. And it's, you know, a song can represent something to, to somebody and, and it may not represent the same, you know, the same way to everybody else, but everyone can understand there's that feeling in your head and in your heart when you hear something and it moves you in a certain way. It doesn't have to have a specific name, but it's out there mm-hmm. and it's different for everybody. Everybody's got those soft spots. And when we say things like this and we really step up to the plate and acknowledge something like this, that that's where we got that punch in the arm, yeah. you know, along our journey. Yeah. Hearing that, I just, I just, Listening to that album, it was like at the time, it's ludicrous as it sounds. Like, oh, these guys get me. We spent five talking about our lives, but we talked like that about a thousand times. So now, what's so new music? I, I heard a song that really caught my ear because I just thought it was so cleverly written uh, by, uh, and I don't know who wrote the song. I should have done some research. The artist is Jade Bird. Yeah. The song is Lottery. Yeah. Um, just a good, just a good, strong pop song. Uh, I uh, suggest you go out and listen to it. Great hook. And I love the lyric. It just uses numbers that are significant to her, her relationship a house number, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. And and you build and you understand. And it's never stated directly, but you get the idea that she plays these numbers. I like the lottery. lyrics, yeah. It's just so, again, I'm not asking for much. Right. <laughs> but I love that it's a song that it's not a bunch of platitudes and things. It's just sort of this very specific, like I believe this story. I believe this person feels this way and, and would and would do these things, yeah. you know. It's like watching a movie and saying, oh, I, 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 I believe everything that these characters are doing. Yeah, I, that was a great catchy tune. And musically, it reminds me, and I like to do this a lot, um, and some people may not like this, but uh, when I hear something, 
as original as it may be, I still like to present a couple mashup options like sounds like oh, sure. this meets this meets this yeah. to give people kind of an idea of it's fair you know because they know these names but they may not know this person so sure. like here's kind of what she sounds like sure and what'd you get to me i was getting a little bit of uh the vocal styling of brandy carlisle oh okay and uh there's a, a group called fleming and john uh duo Got uh, me. they had a record in uh 1999 this is a song called shh that <laughs> You need to listen to this track. I'm going to put it on the playlist, and okay. we're going to have a Spotify companion playlist for this episode, as we like always we do, do every yeah. time. And every mention of a song or an artist on this show, you'll find an entry for them on our playlist. So go check out Fleming and John, Shh, and uh, and maybe the story by Brandy Carlisle. And that's kind of what I get out of Jade Bird's Lottery. Okay, uh, just in the I was just listening to it a couple times for the first time on the way over because you had mentioned yeah. it. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I was already like loving it from the first listen. So. Yeah, it's really good. So now, is there is it a new album? Like, that just is coming out or has come out? Mark, <laughs> I don't know. It's Jade Bird. It's okay. lottery. Just <laughs> so enjoy. You it. Just don't know. No, I'm just saying. Just you enjoy, may get another album. Just enjoy you may the not. song. I don't, know. I don't know. Just enjoy the album. So that's that's <clears> a new song. I'm really hip to right now. Yeah. Very excited about that. And then you know, speaking about trying to you try to describe what a new artist sounds like. Yeah. It's fair. Use pre-established things to help color in. Yeah. Now you had mentioned this artist Ruby Ruby Boots. Yeah. And um, I think you had just kind of read something from her website. I think. Well, I uh, which was fair enough, by the way. I yeah, mean, I'm yeah, just saying yeah. you're just like, oh yeah, you should check this out. It's this, 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 and uh, and then I got the album, and I really, really like it. But it's funny because it did occur to me it was like, oh. I wish I had just come across this by accident without my description, but without anyone's. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, or because I could have easily just read about her in Mojo magazine or something sure. like that. And you might, in going back to an earlier story, in the way that no one said anything to me about the Smithereens, someone just put a record on, and I yeah. flipped out because this record, especially the opening track, it's so cruel. I just. I, I don't know. I think that's just the type of thing I'd flip out. I'd, I'd flip. I'd flip out about something like this. Mm-hmm. I watched you walk in all black and leather, honey. I watched you talk tough, play rough. And and there was part of me that wanted the rest of the album to kind of hold this promise of of what this song felt and sounded like, um, and it and it as the album goes through, it gets a little softer, but that's not a bad thing. And so by the time we get to um, "Don't Break My Heart Twice," I think is probably the like a real key track. That's mm-hmm. it's a real radio friendly track, and it certainly sits in a little more of the traditional kind of Americana or East Nashville vibe. I also feel, and I was thinking about this, uh, that with the passing of Tom Petty, if we're going to see a lot of, you know, his his vampire bite, as I think I may have referenced it. Um, in, I love that term, by in, the way. In, in songs coming forward, because people are going to be listening to so much Petty and appreciate his genius. And there's a bit of a formula to his songs, the yeah. way his songs work. And, and, um, and it's funny because I think they've probably been doing that already. 
They've been doing that already, long before he passed away. Uh, Don't Break My Heart Twice certainly feels like that. Um, Easy Way Out. In fact, even just those three words make you think of Tom Petty Mm -hmm. because uh, I won't back down. Um, Just a a wonderful, wonderful album. But now, so here's... I'm going to read from the one sheet. <laughs> what la- This is off Bloodshot, right? Bloodshot, Bloodshot Records. Bloodshot Records. So, so she's from Perth. She's from Western Australia. Um, and, but she's, uh, she's now in Nashville. She's been in Nashville for a while. So we're going to cross-reference here. Who did they mention? They mentioned T-Rex, Tom Petty, Hope Sandoval from yeah. Mazzy Star. Um, it's funny, the, the fact that she's Australian. Do you remember? God. Early '90s, I only I only got one album by an Australian band called Baby Animals. Does that ring a bell at all? No. Yeah, they had. Uh, anyway, but her voice reminds me so much of the woman that sang for Baby Animals. Very yeah. raspy, just okay. a cool. And of course, man, Ruby, she sings. There's just there's no accent. You're right, right. I mean, I really wouldn't have guessed she's from Australia. Um, well, but, she she reminds me a little bit, of, and and I think this artist is from Australia as well. But Casey Chambers. Oh yeah, yeah yeah sure. You know, her Good voice point. sounds very close, and yeah, that that accent doesn't come across. Something in the water, Antipodian waters of Australia. Uh, it's uh, really well produced. I remember asking you well, who produced this, yeah. and this is a uh, Bo Bedford from the part of the Texas Gentleman That's it. band yeah. and collective. So Ruby Boots, the name of the album is "Don't Talk About It." It's on Bloodshot Records, distributed by Amped. We want to thank them for their help in getting this in our hands. I would check it out. She's great. I think she does. You know, I think you'll see her. She does things with Nikki Lane, and she's out there uh, yeah, on the road. Yeah, feels a bit. like she's in that column for sure. Yeah. Um, the title track "Don't Talk About It" is a standout for me. But yeah, I, I, I Ruby Boots, uh, kind of a, a surprise out of nowhere uh, release early in 2018, and uh, I'm always looking for something new. It's really and, good. Uh, yeah, it's this really is, good. It's coming out uh, the 9th of February. So actually, by the time this episode's out, it should great. be available everywhere. Again, through Bloodshot Records, we want to thank them for uh, for letting us check it out in advance. Uh, what, what else? You the other tie. Oh, the Ty Siegel record. Yes. So here's okay. Well, you 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 explain the record a little more, and then I'll. All right. So Ty is a hardworking guy. <laughs> a lot of energy right? in this kid. Yeah. He put out a phenomenal record last year that we talked about early mm-hmm. in the year, and he's back at the beginning of this year with another one. Now it's not just a record. I'd have to look this up, and Mark can double-check this for me, but I think it's like 19 songs or something. Yeah. It's like a, it's a long, it's a big record. It's a lot of music. And these aren't throwaways. No. So this in this way, he reminds me a lot of, of Ryan Adams, right? I mean, yeah. it's like, there's. I don't think the guy really edits a lot. Yeah. It's just, I'm going to shoot wild. I'm going to put it all out there. Um, and what's, if it feels like he has no problem drawing from anything out of Rock's history. Like every, yeah. every, everything that's ever happened previous to him is available as a resource. And so he, it, it and then also at the same time, he, he kind of, it comes across like he's, he's expecting all that to root for him at the same time. So instead of being embarrassed about, well, I'm clearly going to do a crazy horse thing here. Um, and he's never shy about it. So the fact that he owns it so much is what gets him over that, that, that uh, hurdle of, I guess sincerity. I mean, mm-hmm. I just believe this guy every every step of the way. 
And the record, I mean, I could just, again, because there's so much music on this thing. Yeah. But it's just like your rock and roll past is just flashing before your eyes. Um, and and like I said, he just, he doesn't care. He's just so free with it. A um, lot of different production ideas, a lot of different sounds. Um, songs yeah, are, the songs can range from really goofy about, it, if you sing about his dog, right. to, uh, well, the song I really, really loved is My Lady's on Fire, which reminds me very much of, of T-Rex, mm-hmm. uh, early T-Rex. Just certain, uh, like one of the interesting things about the song is it starts at one tempo and then it just ramps up. I mean, they don't even, just it just kind of just, I don't, it just kind of speeds up in the performance. It's supposed to. Yeah, it's arranged yeah. that way, um, but it's a very unorthodox thing to do. Um, and anyway, I just, I just really, really love that this guy's out there. I love that he's doing as much as he can. I mean, it feels like you know he's like got a, like he's racing against the clock. Um, but I think it's great. I think it's great. Yeah, you know, and he's like a he's like a melody factory. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That song you pointed out. Uh, yeah, it has that change, and it kind of it kicks into that. I just kind of get a Beatles feel out of it, like as far as like pop melody mm-hmm. molding. Like yeah. he's just got something ready to go, plug it in, and you're like, it's a great, it's just a great ride. And like you said, the the the, the genres are all over the board on this record. Um, there's a couple tracks that, well, the first single that came out was uh, "Everyone's a Winner," which just it just feels like he's been you know binging on some early Led Zeppelin records. Sure you know, the previous week, mm-hmm. and then he comes out with his own riffs that are just very reminiscent of it. Right, well, okay, so, like, there's that band Greta Van Fleet, right? And it's clearly, they're doing that early Zeppelin thing. It's yeah. just over the top. Now, by the way, they're doing it really well. And, I mean, I feel giddy when I hear it. It's just <laughs> so fun. What Ty's doing isn't quite that. No, no. Um, both of them are valid. I, I don't want to denigrate either. I'm just saying Ty, okay, you know, it's going to be a strange reference, but Ryan Adams always reminded me, in a way, of Billy Joel. In that, if there was a knock against Billy Joel, it's that as a baby boomer rock artist, from as one of those 70s guys, you couldn't say that he actually, that there's a Billy Joel sound. Like, there's a Springsteen sound. There's a Seeger sound. There's a Tom Petty sound. There's a, you get me? Mm-hmm. But with Billy Joel, it's kind of hard to say, well, what is the sound? Yeah. Because Billy is so talented at writing in any style that he, he chooses to and excelling yep. at it. Not only that, but he can vocally sound like anything. This morning, uh, driving uh, uh, home from, from taking my kid to school, I heard Goodnight Saigon. And he's in that nylon curtain record. He's clearly in his John Lennon mode, right? John's just yeah, passed away. Yeah, yeah. Lennon's in his head. And he sings the entire album as Lennon wonderfully. Yeah. Like you could just tell, right? Um, and then when he gets the innocent man, it's like, okay, I'm Frankie Valley today. Right. He right. just can just decide what he's going <laughs> to, by the way, being the lead vocalist on a massive pop hit, that's a thing. Okay. That's a thing to, to, to sing on a record that's going to sell millions of copies. That's no small feat. Mm-hmm. Even if you're a one hit wonder, it's special. It's unique. It's like man on the moon rarity. Mm-hmm. This guy. Billy Joel, for how long? Massive success. How many times has he done it? <laughs> how many times has he done it? And and much like Paul McCartney, there's like, and he can use different voices for all this stuff. Yeah. You know, you, you forget, you listen to Lady Madonna, McCartney's clearly singing, it's like his Elvis voice. Mm-hmm. He's, it's like his American voice, you know? So Billy Joel doesn't get the credit, or he gets discredited for, for one thing. It's that 
he can, it's like, I'm going to decide to write a Rolling Stones tune. I'm going to decide to write a four season song. I'm going to decide mm-hmm. to write a fill in the blank. And, um, and in a way, Ryan Adams can easily just kind of shape shift from album to album. Right. Uh, and, and Ty has this, now Ty does it like all in one record, right? <laughs> it's not one specific it's not, theme. It's like yeah. six or eight themes in, right, in one record. Exactly. Uh, it, it's a wonderful talent to have. I think the guy just naturally has a, a large palette and he can use any color he wants to get his point across. Yeah. And the closing track, all 12 minutes of it. Yeah. Called and good night, which, uh, right off the bat is a, I think a tip of the hat to the Grateful Dead, mm-hmm. you know, with their end, we bid you good night. Correct. But uh, Ooh, by the by the end of the song, it's clearly a Grateful Dead. Yeah, reference. it starts yeah. out with that like chonk, chonk, Neil Young, mm-hmm. crazy horse kind of thing, which and that goes on for a while. And then it, the, the vocals are very infectious mm-hmm. on this to me. Uh, really good guitar playing. But then on is this it, thing it too. slowly morphs from from early 70s Neil Young jamming into mid 70s live Grateful Dead thing uh-huh. where Jerry and Bob are just trading off sure. clicks and just laying one over the next yep. and you're hearing that I want to say it's like in stereo it's a good headphone record this new Tysigal oh probably yeah um, I just heard it on and to me I was like you know the first time I heard it was in the office mm-hmm. and I wasn't uh, we had a focus yeah we, did, we had a lot going on and people were talking and so I wasn't really getting the whole thing so I thought, I thought well I'll just when I go home I'll give this a full fair listen but being 12 minutes long, um, by the time it got to what I'm referring to as the the live Grateful Dead section of the song, I had to turn around and just ask, what was this? What What is this that's playing right now? Is this... Because like, it did sound like he was definitely paying tribute to a particular live sound mm-hmm. uh, of, of, of Jerry Garcia and Bob Well, Weir. you listen and, to a lot of Dead, so I, you, yeah, you pick up on it. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, know? I didn't know if he was a fan or not. I know I've listened Sounds to... Sounds like it. I've listened to a lot of dead and mm-hmm. to me it was like he was nailing it now is this on purpose or is this an accident happy accident that i'm coming across this apparently he's covered the dead at shows looking at some of these set list sites sure and so he's obviously got his finger on uh-huh. the pulse of that and so many other things yeah. but i can appreciate that that he's not just you know a huge fan of one artist and that's what he's going to try to inject under his own you know no it's, like, it's the entire concept like you said of a palette music. like he's drawing all these colors <laughs> yeah. And he was drawing at least two to three different iconic colors in this closing number, mm-hmm. which is my favorite track. And it's rare that I'll put a track that's 12 minutes long on one of my Dave's Faves collections because that takes up a lot of space. <laughs> and I have an 80-minute max on that because I burn it to a CD. <laughs> a, a what? You guys remember those? Oh. They don't even make CD players in cars anymore. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. And then, yeah, well, you know, it was a meeting we had for a while. We'll talk about that yeah. another time. So yeah, so Ruby Boots, Ty Siegel. Oh, check out a, Jade Bird. Yeah, Jade Bird. And then what? Oh, there was a, uh, and, and not many people know about the Mountain Goats, but the Mountain Goats are kind of like a, an underground sort of band. They've got a really strong following. Uh, I believe a lot of the releases came out through 4 AD. The songwriting style from the Mountain Goats is very, very different, very unique. Uh, mm-hmm. Lyrically, it's a lot of specific detail on obtuse things, mm-hmm. items or subjects that you wouldn't normally like be singing about. Sure. He's singing about all these weird things about 
ants across a kitchen table or, you know, it's like, I, I kind of like the vividness of all uh-huh. that, but their, their songs never really, you know, went mainstream or anything. Like I said, they have a right. large underground following large enough to where there's a tribute album coming out called I only listen to the mountain goats. <laughs> and I look at it and there's a lot of, I think Ibibio sound machine is on there. There's a bunch of names I've, I'm not familiar with okay. at all. She came here after midnight. The hard weather made her feel right at home. Come on in. We haven't slept for weeks. Drink some of this. It'll put color in your cheeks. You drove in from Mexico. This is an interesting way, like a backdoor or a gateway mm-hmm. to an, uh, an artist is if you don't know the Mountain Goats... I suppose. And you're familiar with some of these artists that may be on the collection, that may be a way to get in through them. But for me, I know... I'm familiar with the band that these unknown bands are covering. So for me, it's a way that I'm discovering Turns some other artists. The, the artists. And there are at least three... Well, the album's not out yet, but they're already leaking. You know, I think half a dozen songs are already out. Mm-hmm. It's this ongoing project where they're just releasing in chunks. And uh, there's at least three or four songs off this collection that I've fallen in love with and I've been exposed to new artists now. And okay. that's part of this experience that we're, we're here for. Yeah. I discovered my relationship with tribute records, um, going to the late eighties, early nineties, I was starting to feel like they were just kind of cynical record company ploys. Like Let's, the or, Grammys. Oh, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I didn't say that. Um, but I, you know, it's sort of like, all of a sudden there's a tribute album to so-and-so and they go, oh, somebody bought someone's catalog or, 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 but, and that was, unfortunately, that was a cynical part of me. Not, uh, but looking back, I think there was one in particular that came out. I don't know. Maybe you might remember what year, late eighties, probably uh, dedicated. Oh yeah. yeah. So and I've never been a, a big grateful dead fan. Mm-hmm. Right. But stand up. La Lovett's version of devil. Devil is a friend of, wait, a uh, friend of the devil, friend of the devil. See how much of a fan I am. Elvis Costello's ship of fools. Uh, Los Lobos is Bertha. Fantastic. Th- that's probably, uh, of all the Grateful Dead covers I've ever heard, uh-huh. Bertha by Los Lobos, live studio, whatever it may be. Yeah. They kind of define they get it. Get something right. Yeah. When, when yeah. David Hildago just goes off on his solos, it's just, I'm just, I'm in heaven. Hmm. And, and I got to tell you, I mean, honestly, at the time when it came out, uh, Dwight Yoakam's version of Truck, and I thought that's yeah. how that song's supposed to go. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's what the voice is supposed to sound like. The, everything about that felt okay. Now that song is in shape, like it's taken its shape yeah, that it was yeah. always meant to. Um, so I've walked away from tribute records with, uh, you know, um, a deeper appreciation of, in this case, the songs themselves. And then I do prefer, I preferred the cover versions over the original. It, just, mm-hmm. it happens, it can happen, it happens. Um, this Elmore James tribute. Now, here's, here's one of those things where, especially with a blues artist. Uh, now Elmore James like like was a guy who truly had some really good songs. So it wasn't about his personality or his certain style being on the song. Certain his his slide his slide guitar sound was uh, virtually a patent on what it was to be an yes. Elmore James song. Um, some of the artists here do a really good job of of by not putting electric slide guitar on it and right. that open E tuning already kind of lifts the uh, the mark of Elmer James off the song a little bit. Yeah. Um, to, it, there's two, the two best things on it really. Uh, Tom Jones is great. Tom Jones is a great blues singer. I'm not being sarcastic. Indeed. I'm not. Be, 
he's a wonderful blues singer. And I think he, uh, someone I know that is, has hung out with him quite a bit says that he loves just to talk about the blues. If there's a piano nearby, if there's a guitar, he just wants to sing blues, right? And on this, you hear it. And then when in doubt, always go with Rodney Crowell. And he does. Yeah. Now, one of my, Elmer, one of my favorite Elmer James songs is, is Dust My Broom. Uh, I just think it's, he's, you know, the blues is best when like those kind of tawdry metaphor songs. <laughs> I have a sucker for it. So Dust My, Dust My Broom is great. Um, and uh, one of my favorite songs of all time is Shake Your Money Maker. I just love that phrase. Yeah, it's so yeah. good. And Rodney handles it in a fun way. Uh, Rodney, obviously, responsible for some, some great songs yep. by his own pen. And you can tell when a great songwriter recognizes a great song and how they address it. And so, um, and I think Rodney knows that you just, you don't have to be over the top and loud on this one. It just works. It just works. And I remember doing a, a show a couple of years ago. Um, we were on a bill with Joan Osborne and she did Shake Your Money Maker. And she, and, I mean, she really just extended it and it was fantastic. I mean, she was great. And the, and I remember sitting there thinking, this song is great. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you know what you're doing, this song can really, really, really steal the night. And I think Rodney did such a, such a great job. On There's this. a music video out for that too, by the way. I, I think it might be of them in the studio putting it together and they're just having oh, yeah? a great time with it. So yeah, so I like this record. I mean, I felt like the like these artists truly appreciated Elmer James for what he was. Now, because that was a problem I had way, especially in the '90s, they started getting like. Do you remember there was one? I don't remember the name of it. There was one where like kind of like a lot of grunge bands and stuff did Carpenter's songs. Oh, if I were a carpenter, is that what's okay? Yeah. And I I maybe listened to it once or twice, but I kind of felt like it was. I don't know. It was just too ironic. It was almost, or I thought maybe even mean spirited. I I just didn't believe that these artists really, really yeah. were getting anything from the Carpenters. It was almost just like it was just it was a a like they were making thing. fun of the Carpenters in a weird way. In a weird way, I could have been. I could be wrong. Kind of like the uh, the Brady Bunch movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I now never saw- the Brady Bunch <laughs> here on the playlist. Oh no. <laughs> Anything can happen. Um, so when tribute albums come out, I guess at, at first what I'm looking for is some air of authenticity, you know. Um, yeah. And and so this this one this one had it. And of course, you know, Warren Haynes is going to be on it, and it's always yeah. a, always a treat to hear him play. And that's with uh, Billy Gibbons and uh, Mickey He's Raphael. Twice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hi, Mickey. Great job, Mickey Raphael. <laughs> um, so yeah, and, and again, if you don't know anything about Elmore James, this could be a really good way, good thing to pick up because you'll hear you may because you won't be we're talking about being biased by things you know or or, or don't know or, or allegiance to to things you mm-hmm. know to hear these songs outside of the recording technology of of when Elmore was alive and recording yeah. and and, uh, and uh, or you know I'm, I mean with all due respect to not hear that same guitar thing on every song right. Um, I think that was the trick to how some of these songs were successfully worked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, if you if you're interested, look up the album "Strange Angels in Flight" with Elmore James. There you go. That's coming through Amp Distribution as well, featuring some. So, like again, if you're not familiar with Elmore James, but perhaps you're fe- you know familiar with names like Keb Moe, Chucky Weiss, uh, Shelby Lynn, and Allison Moore, who had a, a beautiful record out last year. Yeah, we well, love they're back that. with another new track on this collection. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I am a strong follower of the, the gateway, uh, connections to getting into songs or artists. Um, 
so yeah, definitely uh, look for this one. This is coming out. I think it may be out this week, so it should be out now. Okay, cool. A lot of releases coming out. Um, anything else, Dave? Do I have any homework? Do I have any... Uh, <laughs> is any of this yes. going to be on the test? Yes, sir. I do have homework? You do have some homework. Uh, Damn, I was joking. Now, the last episode we recorded was, I think, back in December. Got it out mm-hmm. somewhere before yeah. Christmas, obviously, yeah. because it was a Christmas episode. Since then, uh, I did. I did get recommended a television show that's on cable i believe it's showtime called tales from the tour bus it's the latest uh project by mike judge who's best known for what beavis and butthead and a, and a good bass player too by the yeah you made a living as a bass player i in did Texas not for know a long that time. yeah a friend of mine said you should check it out there's just a bunch of mini documentaries on country artists <laughs> sat me down and we watched one on johnny paycheck uh-huh. And I was in stitches on it because it's uh, it's a show that that has a, uh, a humorous slant on actual history. Um, Tragedy plus time equals comedy. comedy right? That's right. If it bends, it's funny. If it breaks, it isn't. And without getting into too much, um, I will say that I watched uh, another episode that featured uh, a name that I had never heard of before. Blaze Foley. <laughs> And the season was, I think, maybe six or eight episodes long. And so I'm just pulling it up, uh, you know, on my streaming box. And uh-huh. I thought, why would they end a season of this great little show on a name I'm not even familiar with? So on New Year's Eve, I decided to play it safe and stay at home. And I pulled this up. And within the first minute, the intro of this show, the introduction to an artist by the name of Blaze Foley, I got that what, feeling. What was, what was, did they play his music? What was it that got you? It was... Sometimes, like you'll a song will hit you, and you're like, "Oh, that's a good line." Uh-huh. But this was like line after line <laughs> after line, and I'm, uh, it's New Year's Eve, and I know I already had a couple beers, but I wasn't like tanked yet. There's no <laughs> way that I'm like, I didn't have my ear goggles on. <laughs> so I, I'm like, "Oh my, oh my god, oh my god!" That line. And, yeah. And then, of course, it goes to the opening credits, and then it leads into this the usual tragic story that each of these episodes <laughs> has, but. I'm not going to go into the whole thing because I want to talk to you about this show. Well, um, I've, I've next... seen the Billy Joe Shaver episode. But Blaze Foley was just like, you know, like Mike Judge says at the top of the show, you know, remember that name. And you will. I, I will. And I recommend you guys check out uh, Tales from the Tour Bus. I believe it's on Showtime. Yeah. And I, might oh be an on-demand thing. But uh, that was like my New Year's Eve uh, music uh, revelation. And I'd like to pass that on to you. So, you know, homework assignments if you guys want to check it out or you just like cartoons. You know, well done, Dave. Thanks. Well done. Well done. <laughs> All right. We're going to wrap it up. This episode of the Jukebox Graduates brought to you by Satellite Amplifiers. Yesterday's technology, today. Check out their new Scamp amplifier. I What's like that? to call it the Scamplifier. What does that do? It's a it's their budget conscious amplifier. It's a small little guy. It's kind of it's a, so. Uh, go to satelliteamps.com to uh, check out all the things. In fact, if you watch the, the Jimmy, well, I know um, uh, Kirk Lloyd, he's a guitar player on Jimmy Fallon show. He's uh, been playing his, uh, his satellite coronet guitar lately. So uh, check that out. I think that's in Pelham Green. Ooh. The color. It's a good color. Yeah, I covered that color. Um, and uh, also, Dave, we would like to thank. And I'd like to thank everybody at Amp Distribution uh, for providing us the connection with artists like Ruby Boots as well as the... Uh, the new Elmore James tribute album. Those are out in February. They're out now, actually, so check those out. And also, lastly, uh, a thanks to Blue Elon Records, Eddie Easterbrook's there, and, of course, Mr. Jack Temption for passing along a vinyl copy that we gave away earlier in the show. 
and uh, also 1913. Thank you for the track, guys. All right, Dave, time to end with a quote. She held a bass guitar, and she was playing in a band, and she stood just like Bill Wyman. Now I am her biggest fan. I'm Dave Rayburn. If it's a temporary lull, why am I bored right out of my skull? Man, I'm dressing sharp and feeling dull. I'm Eugene Edwards. This has been The Jukebox Graduate. All right, we got a lot. We got a lot.